0: Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 24, verses 62 through 67. Now Isaac had come from beher la and was settled in the Negev. Isaac went out in the evening to walk in the field, and looking up he saw camels coming. And Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she slipped quickly from the camel and said to the servant, who is the man over there walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. So on Thursday night I was reading a play by Tennessee Williams when I came across a line that jumped out at me spoken by a character named Carol, a 30-something woman who lives in a dying southern town that's marked by addiction and racism and a hard-scrabble life for all its residents. Carol asks, What on earth? can you do on this earth, but catch at whatever comes near you with both your hands until your fingers are broken? Her question struck me as one that could have arisen out of the early life of Isaac, one of the people we know from the book of Genesis. From the time Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah until the time nearly 40 years later when he marries Rebekah, we see Isaac experience nothing but trauma and loss. Isaac's is a life that requires him to catch at many things that come near him. Some until his fingers are broken. Isaac's birth was always in question, a 25-year struggle on the part of Abraham and Sarah to conceive, leaving them respectively 190 years old when he was born. Prior to his birth, in an attempt to produce an heir, at Sarah's suggestion, Abraham had fathered a son named Ishmael by Sarah's servant, Hagar. Hagar and Ishmael lived in the family compound with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Around Isaac's fifth birthday, he is playing out in the field with his older half-brother Ishmael when he senses harsh words of exchange between his parents. The next morning, Isaac watches as his father sends Hagar and Ishmael away into the wilderness. An act that does not lessen the tension between his parents because at no time in the rest of Scripture do Abraham and Sarah ever speak again. A few years later, again early in the morning, Isaac follows his father and a handful of servants into the wilderness to offer a sacrifice of God, to God. Isaac carries the wood while his father carries the fire and the knife. When they have left the servants behind and are walking even deeper into the woods, Isaac says, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb to be offered? Abraham responds, God will provide. When they reach a certain place, Abraham removes the wood from Isaac and spreads it across the altar He then binds Isaac and places Isaac on the altar. And Isaac sees his father raise the knife above him. And then Isaac sees his father seem to be distracted as if he's hearing something. And he drops the knife and turns to the thicket and gets a ram and places it on the altar and offers the ram for sacrifice. From that day forward in the text, God never again speaks directly to Abraham. And after that day, Abraham and Sarah take up separate residences in separate villages 30 miles apart, Isaac is aware of the divide between them. Sometime later, when Sarah dies, Abraham mourns her death and buries her, but the narrative doesn't indicate that Isaac is invited to attend the funeral. What on earth can you do, dear Isaac? What on earth can you do but catch it, whatever comes near you with both your hands? Catch, dear Isaac, until your fingers are broken. Now we're going to leave Isaac for a minute. and We're going to take a little carriage ride around the park. And it's going to take about half the sermon, but stay with me and it will come back to Isaac near the end. Since my ordination in 1980, I have officiated, as you can imagine, at numerous marriages in sanctuaries and chapels, including, of course, ours. From time to time, as some of you know who have been there, I have to hold back tears in conducting the weddings. And I'm not even the bride or the groom. But when I am moved at weddings, it is usually because I know some of the backstory that has led the couple to this point in their life. As challenging as marriage is, When two people stand in the church in which they worship in the presence of God and these witnesses who are the people who have been most important in their lives across the years, the wedding service itself represents a moment in time in which human love and God's love break through the heartache and loss of the past to bring a moment of healing in the present in a time of hope for the future. I am moved by marriages because so often they represent a significant stage on the way of healing for one, if not both, the bride and groom. Three weeks ago, I served in a role at a wedding in which I have never served before. Stepfather of the groom. Now, the stepfather of the groom, as you know, doesn't play a major role in weddings, (laughs) or shouldn't play a major role in weddings, particularly if that stepfather has married the mother of the groom long after the groom was grown and out of the house. Being stepfather of the groom is kind of like being one of those minor league baseball players. Who is called up at the end of the season, expects to sit on the bench, maybe is inserted into a game or two if the game is no longer in doubt and doesn't have any impact on the playoff picture. The seat on which I was sitting at this wedding was next to the mother of the groom, who would be my wife, Maggie. And as we were escorted to our seats, something I've never experienced before. I realized that I had only actually sat at versus conducted maybe two or three weddings in my life. But when the sister of the groom walked down the aisle as a bridesmaid, I could barely contain my emotion. For that sister of the groom named Hannah... When four years ago, when she was 24 years old, experienced a fog of depression that came upon her like little cat feet. She lived a thousand miles away from us at the time, but she moved into our house. At times, barely able to leave it. At times, barely willing to return. Some of you came and sat in our living room on Sunday mornings, several weeks during the early period of that, because we couldn't leave her alone. And Sunday mornings were the only time that both of us had to be away to preach. Now, I'm not telling you anything that Hannah doesn't blog prolifically about today, now that she is out of the house and on her own. But to see her walk down the aisle, not as a bride, but just as a bridesmaid, was a tremendous moment of healing that I will never forget. As the story of Isaac continues in Genesis, we get to see Isaac experience a moment of healing as well, even though it starts in an arranged marriage. Isaac has returned home from visiting a place called Bier Lahai Roy. We've been working on that pronunciation this morning. <laughs> but it's a place where God has rescued, had rescued Ishmael, and his mother, Hagar. A rescue that happened years before Isaac was born. But Be'er Lahai Roy is a place which has become, for Isaac, a symbol of healing. And he journeys there and returns there periodically to remind himself that there has been a time in his life and in, him, and in his family when God has provided Now back home on this pilgrimage, from this pilgrimage in the Negev, Isaac goes out for a walk that he takes every evening. While the English translation specifies that Isaac walks, in the Hebrew it can also mean Isaac meditates. So Isaac walks alone every evening to recite his prayers, to meditate, to listen for God. On this particular evening, Isaac looks up and he sees several camels coming in the distance led by one of his father's servants. The camels come to a halt and Isaac sees a woman slip quickly from the camel and speak to the servant and the servant speaks back to her. The woman then takes her veil and covers her face, covering herself in darkness. The servant then approaches Isaac and tells him a very long story of how Isaac's father Abraham, who is now around 140 years old, had sent him on a mission to find from among their own people not simply a wife for Isaac. But that person whom God, not Abraham, not the servant, not even Isaac, but God had chosen to be married to Isaac. That person that God intends to bear children to Isaac so that the promise of land and descendants and blessings which has been so frail at the present will go forward. That person whom God intends to restore through Isaac's life, the Hesed. Or steadfast love of the Lord that has been so hard to discern in the events of recent years in Abraham and Sarah's family. After hearing this lengthy story from the father's trusted servant, it's really the whole of chapter 24, including all the reasons that the servant believes that the woman who has alighted from the camel and veiled herself in darkness is that person that God has chosen. Isaac invites the woman, still veiled in darkness, into the tent in which his mother, Sarah, has lived, and likely the tent in which she has died. Now the Hebrew word for tent also means light. When the veiled woman enters the tent with Isaac, the narrator for the first time gives us her name in Isaac's presence. Her name is Rebecca. And the tent is filled with light when Rebecca enters it. The narrator then adds, and all this is in that little verse in the bulletin. Don't look at it now, but you can look at it at home. The narrator then adds, Rebecca became Isaac's wife. And then the narrator says, And Isaac loved her. That's kind of neat that an arranged marriage does end out with a little bit of love in it. But what's even neater, this is the first place in the Bible where it is said of one person that that person loves another person. It is through their human love, Isaac for Rebekah and Rebekah for Isaac, that God's even greater steadfast love, or hesed, will return to this family line. And the narrator then draws this scene to a close by saying, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. When Rebecca enters the tent, restores it to light, turns with Isaac to welcome the future together, it is as if all of the pieces of the past that Isaac has been trying to catch with two hands come together. Now I know this sermon may be difficult for people who have loved and lost, or who have never loved at all. And while this story does mark the first time in Scripture that it is said that a man loves a woman, we need not deduce from it that the healing of a human being, or the restoration of God's steadfast love to a family, can only come. Through the boy meets girl story that is before us. In fact, the story I shared from my own family is a healing that primarily occurs through a mother daughter relationship. There are many relationships through which we receive the love of another human being, a love that can help us heal, a love that can give us hope. A love that can restore us to the experience of God's even deeper steadfast love. Mother and son, father and daughter, father and son, sibling, friend, colleague, lover, foster parent and foster child, grandparent, and grandchild, adoptive parent, adopted child, prisoner, and letter writer from the outside, brother or sister, In faith. I can only say that when we witness such healing in relationships as I did in my household, as we have done through Rebecca and Isaac, or as we experience such healing through a relationship in our own life, our job is to bask in it. To give thanks to God for it and to let it give us hope. Perhaps it will be the case that as we catch whatever comes near us with both our hands, we'll have fewer broken fingernails. Amen.